Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. Donna Marie Davis, I am so happy that you are here. Uh, you're an attorney, you're an actress, you're an artist, you're an advocate. There's a lot of alliteration going on with that I <laughs> recognize. That's And you're more. And I wanted to, I really thought about doing a podcast with you from the moment you kind of engaged with me on LinkedIn is where we first kind of connected. Thank you. Because I saw all of what you were doing and I thought, wow, that's interesting. But then we met up and you just have a light. You do have a light. Aww. You just have this light that you kind of exude. So then I knew <laughs> that I really wanted you to be on this podcast. Um, so okay. thank you. Thank you. You're a wonderful person. Beautiful inside and out. I know everybody can't see you right now, but I want to let everybody know that you have a bright light. And it's through you that I'm watching, and I'm getting goosebumps. I'm watching all these stories be told from other people on their journeys in order to help the people that are listening. And hopefully that's healing to them or brings them peace or hope, or they feel like they're not alone. And that's because of you, what you're doing. Uh, so you, you have the perfect name. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> that means so much because that is the hope, you know, at the end of the day. So I want to talk a lot about your journey. Can I start where you are? What are you doing right now, day to day? What is your life like? Okay. The, I think for me, the most salient point of everything that I'm doing right now has to be transforming the Bucks County Crime Lab in Levittown and repurposing it into a apprenticeship cafe open to the public for special needs youths because there is nothing left after 21 years old for special needs youths. I like to now say, and I think it's becoming popular, which is awesome, differently able. Mm. because when that opens and it's taken over five years now because of COVID and in, between grants and sponsors and donations, including the volunteers, thank you, Buzz Harris, and all the re retirees from different trades unions, it has to be over $250,000 to get it to where it is and equipment donated wow. through different organizations. But when that opens, it will be the first place of that kind where special needs youths and young adults are actually interacting with the public in a cafe slash sort of like a Starbucks, but also with That's ice cream. That's amazing. So, I did not even expect you to say that because who 
else could answer in that way? Nobody, Donna Marie. <laughs> Nobody's going to have that answer. That's incredible. That is so on my heart. I can't even tell you. And, and something very organic happened just this year. So the wheels had sort of stopped almost completely, but not completely, with the reconstruction. And let me tell you, when I say reconstruction, everything was torn down and deconstructed down to the cement floor and the cinder block walls. Everything in there, the roof, the walls, the windows, brand new. Plumbing, electric, brand new. Everything is brand new. Wow. Maybe. But it will create public awareness. And what happened was this year, a lot of the youths that are waiting, which are a lot of youths from the Chamonix High School are waiting to come into the program. They came when we felt it was safe, construction-wise, sure. to take a look. And they were so excited, and the life coaches and the teachers were so excited, and thank you, John Rocco, um, that they, I can't take credit for this, they actually said, hey, what about our youths helping in this last mm -hmm. phase of construction? So for the first time ever, special needs youths in a school district 17 to 21 years old or almost 21 years old we call them super seniors came and were in a new program where they worked side by side with the life coaches the teachers and the professional tradespeople to learn real skills in construction and they because of them it is almost completely finished and definitely will be finished this year and we'll have our soft opening this year. That's really magnificent. It's that so is... exciting to me. That's what excites me. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing is how did you get from what, you know, you're a shy artist, yeah, boy, right? To this point. So can you tell me a little bit about who you were and what your childhood was like? very shy, um, um, diminutive in stature, <laughs> but I am of Italian descent. So my stepfather, may you rest in peace, nicknamed me a little bit mighty. And the mighty part would come out if I saw somebody being bullied or discriminated against or abused. I was bullied myself as a, as a young girl. And I think that gave me this more than empathy, but this passion to help people that were bullied or abused. And then I was thrown into a situation. I received, um, fast forward to studying art and theater in London, um, through a grant through Bucks County community college. And, in London, the family that I was placed to live with, unfortunately, my last week there, um, the boyfriend of the woman's house that I was living in, they lived together. He was actually an illegal taxi driver and she was a school teacher, Ann and Roger. And he was upset that she decided to go out the last week I was there. I heard what I thought was furniture being thrown around come to real and this was nighttime, nighttime. and you were as were you asleep i was or? in in my room okay. and it and it had to be around 11 30 at night and i was asleep 
I had a test in school the next day. Um, it was so cold in there that there was ice on the inside of the windows. It was very old fashioned, believe it or not. And I don't know, I have a picture to prove it. Um, there was still somebody delivering milk. I can believe that <laughs> only because my mom and dad lived in England for a time oh, okay. and I hear a lot about the cold wow. and the milk delivery. So, so true. Yes. And I feel like it sounds like I'm making up a story, <laughs> right. but this is, no. I have pictures, thank heavens. So, uh, then I hear her yelling my name, Donna, Donna. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get her help? Because they had a lock on the phone because somebody had abused the privilege before me. And I thought, okay, if I run out the door, I have to run past the room. If he gets me, he's over six feet tall. I'm, I'm five foot and five foot two with heels. So I went with bare feet onto the roof outside my bedroom window. And you're window. Uh, young, I mean, yes. right? So, yeah. And, and it was December 8th, cold, um, felt like winter time. I still don't know how I didn't cut my foot. I start banging on the window downstairs because we were in the upper level flat. A family lived in the first floor flat. So I banged on the glass so hard that the glass broke. I see lights go on. I see it from the grass lighting up. And they got a, a very rusty ladder, got me down. Oh my gosh. She's still, Anne is still screaming. I tell them what happened. Um, I'm in my night clothes. They, uh, I tell them they have to call Scotland Yard. They, they do it, but I don't know they do it until the next morning. They put me in what was a very large shed that had, they had converted into a music room. They locked me in thinking they were protecting me. Oh my God. Um, so I couldn't get out until they let me out the next morning. Oh my gosh. They let me out. Um, they make me oatmeal. They know I have a test. They were wonderful to me. They tell me what happened, that they did call Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard got there in time. He had put a sock in her mouth so she couldn't scream. Oh, my gosh. And and her life was saved. And But that changed the trajectory of course. Because you had been wanting to be an artist? Yes. Okay. And so I had been blessed to win what sort of was like the Olympics for three-dimensional illustrators. And I had gone to the University of the Arts. And it what happened in England, though, put this sort of insatiable need to help abuse women and children. And so instead of um, accepting two jobs I was offered to be creative director in Philadelphia and in California, I applied for law school. And through grace got in because I literally was told when I stood up for the interview, I went to Widener School of Law. I was told, wow, you're really normal. We, you know, there are no people here that came in with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. They're all political science yeah. or liberal arts. We expected you to show up with green hair <laughs> and a ring in your nose, and we expected you to be late. You're on time. So... Your last year of law school, you're allowed to represent people as a student attorney. Uh, I was doing that for the Domestic Abuse Project in media. 
the people that sponsored me to do that, that were their senior attorneys, thank you, Bill Baldwin, um, were going to lunch. They said, oh, Donna Marie, you can handle it. There's somebody coming in and you take care of her. I said, okay. It turned out to be somebody that I'm still friends with today, but it also turned out to be the first case in Pennsylvania's history where a parent was convicted of kidnapping their child, which uh, it's the, I can say this because it's, it's public. Uh, it's the Caitlin Rivera case. So unfortunately she was murdered by her father. father and kidnapped and then murdered and we have to this day never found her body that and was how old was she it, around 18 okay. months old to 20 to 23 months old in there we found the shoe on route 202 um but we have never found her 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 remains and um so he's still in in prison and the mom actually went on i i mentored her and she went on to go study um business law and and accounting and and she has a wonderful life now but she went through so much and to create domestic violence awareness um montel williams wanted to do the story on his show so we went on the show together oh and gosh. to tell her story and so and then fast forward <laughs> to um, wanting to save a farm in Warminster that was the last working farm on Mearns Road and getting involved in politics to want to save open space in that farm and to help people. And that, if it wasn't for that, and then representing the Bucks County residents and commissioners on the Horse and Land Reuse Authority, which decided what was going to happen to Willow Grove Naval Base for six years as a volunteer. If it wasn't for that, see, that led, if you follow the breadcrumbs, <laughs> that led to finding out about this building that now... That we are sitting in today. Yes, inhabits Peace Valley Holistic Center, a charity for special needs children, youths, and families, because... That's how I found out that the county had properties that either were donated to them or have been vacant for years, and charities are able to lease these buildings, but the charity also has to fix the building up, which it took us a year through my my mom, naturopath physician, Dr. Davis, and her goodwill from her practice, which she had retired from, I say in quotes. So your mother is a naturopathic physician. Correct. And Semi-retired. Se yeah, she's not really <laughs> She's not retired. even retired, exactly. right? Yeah. She's not, but she... She's just evolved yes, in her practice. She thought she was retiring <laughs> when she closed her private practice in Glenside, in see. Keswick Village. And then... I, along with other special needs families that she was taking care of, said, why isn't there everything under one roof? Because now I was a federal litigator for special needs children and people discriminated against in employment and civil rights. And I was frustrated because 
I was making case law, which is supposed to make you very excited. And it didn't. It made me very frustrated because to me it meant nobody was listening to people and giving them justice and becoming, helping them have a voice. And I thought there has to be a better way. And there is. And it's through communication and mediating and with special needs children and, and education law. It's having everybody come together at the same table and be given a voice. That means the school, the teachers, yeah, wow. and the parents, everybody. And who am I? I am just a bridge because it's almost as if one side is speaking Chinese and the other side is speaking Spanish and they can't understand what they're saying. So all I do is build a bridge so that they start to speak the same language and understand one another. And that's then, incredible. And that's it. And instead of it taking two to four years, it takes two weeks, maybe a month, and that's it. Okay. So a couple of questions because it's just so unusual. Sure time's not up? <laughs> I know. It is an unusual journey. It's an impressive journey. And and you're an impressive person because there's this there's this perseverance. Um, that kind of weaves its way through too. So I'm thinking when you were being bullied, about mm. how old do you oh, think wow. you were? I know exactly how old I was. And what's interesting about that, I was going to J.H. Brown Elementary School, which is off of Welsh Road in the Northeast. So my family moved to Bucks County when I was about eight, eight and a half. So I started um, in Bucks County. I started school in in elementary school, but I was in going into fourth grade. So that's when I my family moved to the suburbs. Got it. So you were the new kid. Is that why you were boy bullied? I, there, but I was actually bullied more in the Northeast. Oh. But I stood up for myself. And I it's very interesting because I really don't know where the creativity came to I stood up with myself through words not through my fists. So fast forward to coming and moving in the suburbs, I was bullied again by a, a girl in my grade that was much larger than me. Taller, I mean larger in every respect. And um, I don't even know, they used to say, I'm calling you out. Oh yeah, and I remember that. <laughs> I call you out, that yeah. meant you were gonna fight. Yeah. And yeah. then we get off the school bus. Oh my gosh. And everybody made a circle. And again, I used words and I got out of it. And she actually got embarrassed because all the kids got mad at her because she didn't fight. And then again, our parents became friends. Because oh, this is so interesting. Your parents became friends again? Again, because my mom became a uh, Girl Scout leader, and she entered into the troop, into the troop. So my mom became friends. That's so interesting, because your mom must not have been going... When you went home, your mom must not have been saying, this is the worst kid ever. We hate them. <laughs> We're going to do this to them. Right. You know, that's so interesting, because that's the typical parental response. When you come home and say, this happened, 
the parents get up in arms. So what was your mom saying to you when you would go? Did you talk about it? Yes. She felt that she wanted me to have compassion and empathy for the bully. And she told me that that was sort of a symptom of something that must have been going on at home. Wow. And that they were probably either hurting, didn't feel included, um, had an inferiority issue, and that this was a way to try and make them feel better and covering up what was really going on. That's incredible. By yeah. picking on somebody that is smaller. Yeah. Wow, that's a that's a huge lesson. And you obviously took that in and really internalized it and externalized it as well. I mean, because your life is a living testimony to that message. To, right. To, you know? um, and, and it's funny because look what happened. I grew up using words to advocate for people that are essentially being bullied yes. in every respect, whether it be domestic violence, civil rights, or employment discrimination. The, if you peel away the onion, the bottom line is that yeah. they're being emotionally or physically abused by a bully. or nor, You can put whatever label you want. Narcissist. Right. A, you know, abuser. They're a bully. Being victimized in some yeah. way. So, yeah. okay, where does the acting come in? <laughs> I just feel as though, where did you find time to sneak that in? <laughs> so... Until I was almost eight, I was an only child, and I and it had to find ways to occupy myself. So I was given a lot of coloring books and crowns, and I would draw and and draw and draw, and I enjoyed that and play records and dance around like every other person in the in the room with the microphone, being yeah. the hairbrush and all that. So. It was just another way of expressing creativity. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, that helped me come out of my shell, which was invaluable because had I not come out of my shell, I wouldn't have been able to advocate for other people. And, and I was just starting to come out of my shell yeah. when I studied art and theater at Bucks. But then when I was sent to England, there were five of us sent from Box in different departments. So the music department, the art department, the theater department, okay. they chose five people. And that going to England was, that was like throwing cold water on me because so many things happened. Again, there was bullying there too. I was making a call on a phone box and two, two or three youths, male youths that I think were a little younger than me, didn't like Americans. How they knew I was American, I have no clue. But I do know this, they tried to set me on fire and they threw lit matches oh into the top. There was sort of a slot an open slot at the top of the phone box, the old-fashioned phone box, and they were throwing lit matches and aiming that, them at me, and I was sort of moving around, dodging them. And thankfully, what actually made them go away, because I thought they would just go away and give up, 
but they weren't giving up. And somebody that I had become friends with in my class at Ealing College saw what was happening and had the courage to come over and they ran away. How do I know these boys meant business? Because I found out the next day they went up the street and they burned the laundromat down. Wow. And that's what wow. made me say, wow. I Because I, I think that I was naive in that I was going to be okay. Because I'm, I'm a, a positive person. Maybe that is what got you through it in a weird way. You know, that thought of... Oh, that I'm going to be I'm okay. Gonna, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, because... I can't imagine how terrifying that was. Yeah, and I don't think it really resonated with me and that I realized how serious this was until I was told the next day that these, and they caught them, they called them wow. back then hooligans. Yes, oh so, my God. And I don't know where that comes from or right, anything. Right. So, but that's what those boys were called back then, and uh, that's what they did. And... So, but things like that kept happening. So, in terms of, so when you were younger, you were doing a lot of artistic endeavors because you had, had this new little brother, and then you took that theatrical um, desire and outlet for your creativity, and that led, because you ended up in one of the Rocky movies. Oh, yeah, oh my gosh, we're going to tell that story? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was the kid that, when I moved with my family to the suburbs, um, my, my friends and I would sort of put on little shows, which I, I find that you hear a lot from people that enjoy acting or producing or directing. And we did that and we would sort of pick a song and then we would choreograph it yeah. and we put on a little show and then we would do, we had the sort of there was no, there were video games were just starting. It's so true. Like Pong, yes. I think. Yes. And Atari. Yes. It was because I did new. the same thing in my free time. Yeah. What else were we going to do? Yeah. Really? yeah. We ride bikes to, yeah. <laughs> it's called Davisville, the hardware store to buy candy. That was like a big deal right. for the whole day. What are you doing? I'm going to ride my bike to Davisville <laughs> and buy candy. So it was very innocent. And I was the sort of the, a risk taker, which I look back now and I'm like, wow, where'd that come from? I was the, the child that would go in the woods and bring home a baby raccoon or oh, find wow. an animal and bring it home to rescue it. Snakes, salamanders. It was like really cool if you got a red one because most of them were black salamanders. Like, And I don't know where that came from, but a really neat story is because I think that's where some of this comes from. I think that bullying also made me determined um, to over become an overcomer, yeah. and that and to think out of the box because I was forced to think mm. out of the box mm -hmm. and to become your a risk creativity taker. had to like get you out of these. Situations. It had to. I mean, my husband now and I met in college, but we didn't get together we kept sort of running into each other every 10 years and when we were in college at box we actually i 
would go horseback riding by myself. This is one of the things I used to do as a risk taper at Sunnyfield Farms, which doesn't exist. Frank still does. But I, to impress him, I got one of the horses that I was used to riding. I took it where I wasn't supposed to. You weren't supposed to take it off of their property. I did. I went into Tyler Park, and then I came back out onto Swamp Road. Do not ever do this, everybody <laughs> listening. It's too dangerous. It was dangerous then. It's more dangerous today. I got off of the horse. I walked it down Swamp Road to Bucks County Community College from that top of the hill, Twining Bridge or Twining something road. Walked it down. When I got to the uh, driveway for Bucks County Community College, I got back on the horse and I rode it up the road and through the middle of the school to impress my husband. And see, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, whatever your belief is, has a sense of humor. Because I found out he wasn't there that day. <laughs> <laughs> he had just gone home. I just missed him. But that I tell that to show different risks right, that I took. Right. Cause it's, I don't think it's normal to walk a horse down Swamp Road to Bucks County <laughs> Community. But this is... Right. It, to me, you're like I know what I'll get his attention. Exactly. Right? I right? don't think that's normal. Yeah. So, but, but you never dated back then, right? No, we were just really friends. It yes. was very innocent. Yeah. He took me to Oxford Valley Mall, which was fairly new at the time, and right. we walked around. It was so innocent. Yeah. He, so, how did you start dating? All these years later. Well, we kept. We really kept in touch that whole time. No, we would <laughs> actually just synchronistically be at the same place at the same time like an Aerosmith concert and happen to run into each other and so I really feel if something's meant to be it's going to happen yeah because yeah it, that's because that's what happened I have a friend that said you don't go out you're working all the time and and they had just um gone through a divorce and I said well if you find something in Warminster I'll go with you she did she found the concert at Erkskeberg and I and she called for tickets it was sold out then she called the leader of the band the heartbeats and she he called his band members he got three tickets left them at the door so I went and there was my husband at the concert and that's how we reconnected that's amazing. and he lived in Cherry Hill and I said oh actually he said what are you doing here you're not supposed to be here I said, what are you doing here? I live here. You live in Chariel. And here, what I didn't know was, he went to school with all the members of this band. So for him, it was a reunion. Right. I was. I didn't know anybody. It was just random for it was you. Very random. That's so interesting. There's been, you know, there's been synchronicity at play. I think, don't you think, Absolutely. in your life? There's been. I mean. Do you, first of all, do you still like to act? Do you still have that passion? Or is it just kind of a... It, how, what role does it have in your life? Okay, so you said Rocky. That was actually when I stopped. So I had decided after I did that, and actually Sylvester Stallone attempted to give me what's considered the big break. And I didn't realize how 
what a big deal until years later was that the casting director, um, bless your heart, Diane Kerman, for having the courage to go through hundreds of pictures, those were her words, not mine, to find out who he was talking about because he and I, when we were done for the day, ran into each other in the hallway because I couldn't get out. Uh, my, this young lady and I were lost. And it, that scene um, was filmed in a place that doesn't exist, the old convention center in what seemed like catacombs. In Philadelphia, in the, in yeah, Philadelphia, yeah, down, yeah. Underneath of it, there were offices and stairs yeah. and- Like a labyrinth. Exactly, and and I, I said, let's just stay here and whoever comes up the steps next, we'll just ask him how to get out. Well, it turned out to be Sylvester Stallone with a small entourage and I went up to him and just very, you know, matter of fact, but with respect, said, excuse me, can, we've been, we're lost, we've been filming all day, we're tired, can you tell us how to get out of here? And I think he was shocked that I didn't fawn over him, I'm not sure, but um, he took a step back. I think the people he was with were mortified that I was Asking him, him for directions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was treating him yeah. like he was a person. Right. And so he looked at me and then he told me how to get out. Do you want me to say that? How he sure. Said? Okay. So he said, <laughs> he said, you see those two doors? And I said, yeah. He said, you go through those doors, there'll be a hallway. Then you'll see, you go down the hallway, there'll be another set of doors. I started to get a little bit of Italian attitude. I put my hand on my hip because I thought he was sending me on a wild goose chase. And I sort of stood to one side and I was annoyed because I didn't think he was really thought, Yeah, you were being skeptical of yeah. what, yeah. And so he said, and you'll see another set of doors, another hallway. So he went through this about three times. And he said, and then you open the, the doors, the last set of doors, and you'll see a trailer, get in the trailer, it will take you to Nirvana. I said, thank you very much. And I turned <laughs> on my heels and I went and the young lady I was with was upset with me. Do you realize what was happening? And I said, I don't care. My boyfriend's waiting out in the car for me. He's been waiting for eight or nine hours. I'm tired. I just want to go home. So I, cause, and it turned out what he, everything he said was true. There were doors, a hallway, doors, a hallway, doors, a hallway, and there was a trailer, and it was his. And and then that night, around 12 o'clock, um, I was scheduled to go to Virginia to hear my mom present what are called white papers. Um, she was presenting and sitting on a panel about a study she had done and it was her first time and I was scheduled, I had, we had the hotel, everything. I was scheduled to go and listen to this and support my mom. And so I get this call. Oh, I'm so glad you answered the phone. And I was half asleep and, uh, you know, I've been looking for hours, hundreds of pictures. Sylvester Stone had me looking over and over until I found out who it was he was talking about, who he ran into. And I said, so she wanted me to go down the next day, and he wanted to be, me to be a stand-in for his son, Sage, who's passed on now. And then, you know, I was going to be with what are called the principals, the main actors, and then he was going to give me my break, and it was going to lead to saying a few words. 
So for the first time, because I had right. never said anything. And you know, it makes sense because you had given them that little Italian attitude. <laughs> so it's probably, she yeah. fits right in. Yeah, I didn't think of that. <laughs> and so I explained to, uh, that I couldn't go. And because of my mom, and this was all set, and she said, no, you don't understand. This doesn't happen. This is a big deal. This is your big break. I said, no, you don't understand. It's my mom. I can't not go and support my mom. My mom comes first. So um, today I still would do the same thing because I chose family first. I love that. But now it's become sort of like the legendary story yes. of my family. So I stopped until COVID. When COVID hit, it allowed me the time. Mm. And then I, our, my paths crossed with a man named Terrence Tykeem, who I met through another friend named Joe Thewitt, who was an actor and a retired state trooper who flew helicopters. for, them. And he was friends with Terrence first. And he said, Terrence was making a film about child abuse. And he said, you have to tell him that, that story about Caitlin and what you went through. He needs to hear that story. So he came to the charity, Peace Valley Holistic Center. We met and I told him and we connected instantaneously that day. And I, without knowing I was going to, I wound up co-producing two movies with him and acting and actually helping cast, which I had never done any of those things. I had acted, but I hadn't produced anything, cast anything. Mm. And um, so that was an amazing journey. And the abuse was actually filmed in Bucks County. Um, the other movie, which is a different perspective on when George Floyd and a perspective from the correction officers who were watching the jail uh, ex-officer Chauvin was held in and it's from their perspective and it, um, it's really more about employment discrimination oh interesting Is you know so Donna Marie it's so fascinating because I think I think most of us are really searching for a life that supports their passions their purpose, if they're connected with their purpose. And, you know, a life that is interesting. And and you seem to embody that. I really do believe that. Um, how do you know when to say yes? Like, how have you been able to kind of navigate this kind of twisty, turny, yet purposeful life? Is there something you could kind of say to somebody else who's sitting at home thinking, oh, I kind of don't feel f quite fulfilled or. I, that's a lot. Yes. Because I don't think of myself that way. Honestly, um, I really think of myself as a grain of sand amongst all the beautiful different colors of sand that glisten in the sun, all rainbow colors and different spectrum of light, spectrum of colors. And if I'm really honest, and this is 
This is from my heart, and this is my own experience and my journey. I have to say it's through prayer. Right. And that's the honest truth. Um, that has gotten me through everything. Everything. Yeah. And, it's, and it's just a friendship. It's a personal friendship with God. And... Um, and asking for guidance and direction or, or sitting quietly. Yeah. I think in the silence, without all the noise, there's so much noise out so there true. now. So many things that want our attention or are distracting us. Sometimes we can't hear our inner self and have that spiritual connection, whatever that is for you, for me, personally and i don't try and put this on anybody else but for me personally it's god but so sometimes i will i start the morning um literally praying for my friends and family that included you oh thank you <laughs> thank you and 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 just you know asking basically okay so actually now that i've gotten older Hopefully I'm a tiny bit wiser. So now I'm um, more surrendering to what is it, like you said, I'm supposed to do. Because I come from being stubborn, honestly, from my heritage. Yeah. And so sometimes I get knocked back on the track. Yeah. You know, sometimes we learn more from our failures than success. True. And then we put those little tools in our pocket and try and help other people that we see going through the same thing or down the same path and help them so they maybe don't go off the track or that they can back, get back on the track. So I don't think I'm the end-all be-all. And I would, I would ask for help all the times that I would go to court, which I don't litigate anymore. But I always, for some reason, and you see how tall I am, was always put in a David and Goliath situation. When I, and I'm not, um, I'm not exaggerating. I tend to actually minimize things mm -hmm. because I don't want to exaggerate. So I've been the Department of Defense, the United States Department of Justice, different states different cities I've been put in a position when I was trying to litigate for firemen that were discriminated against or whoever was discriminated against I was put in these situations over and over again where I should not have been successful but I would ask for help because I knew I couldn't do it myself well and so I would find what they call the smoking gun. And I would find the strength. I would find the courage. That's where it was coming from. So the, I feel like the minute I think I'm the one doing it is when things start to falter. Get wobbly, yeah. And yeah. when I admit to myself that I need help, everybody needs help. And it's hard if you're independent and you're stubborn yeah. to admit you need help. But I would ask for help because I knew that this was a monumental task. So I really believe that's 
the key. Yeah. And planning is the key to success. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast. Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.